Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you want to join me, Matthew chapter 27, and we'll pick up in verse 15. And now the feast of the governor was accustomed to releasing of the multitude a prisoner whom they wish. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. And therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called the Christ. For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas, and destroy Jesus. And if we skip down a little bit, notice the cry of the people. Let him be crucified. There in verse 23. Pilate saw that he couldn't prevail. And in verse 25, and all the people answered and said, his blood will be upon us and our siblings, and they released Barabbas to them. And then he had scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified. We're now moving around a tree in the window. You're looking out, and there's a tree in the way, and you've got to move a little bit further over because there's something very specific you want to see. And when the soldiers of the governor took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, they stripped him. They took the Son of God and stripped off his clothes and put on him a scarlet robe. They twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head in a reed in his right hand, and they bowed before him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. And then they spat on him. They spit in the face of Jesus. Then they struck him with the reed. They took his own scepter, in other words, and hit the king on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him and put back on his own clothes and they led him away to be crucified. And now as they came out, and of course we know the gospel authors record so many other things, that he was beaten near unto death, his back ripped of his flesh, And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and compelled him to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, and when he had tasted it, he would not drink. They crucified him. They divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled of that which was spoken of by the prophet. Psalm 22, of course. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head an accusation written. That accusation was called a titulus. 
It was a list of the crimes. All it says is, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. But it was in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads, saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you were the son of God and come down from there. The mocking continues into verse 45, we go. And now from the sixth hour until the ninth, there was darkness all over the land. I've always pondered why did God do this? Maybe even for God, this was too much to be seen in broad daylight. Maybe for Jesus, the father didn't want his son to see what was going on around him. But about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one went up with a sponge filled with sour wine and put it to his lips on a reed. And the rest said, Let him alone, see if Elijah will save him. Verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The rendering there from the original language is he literally gave it away. It wasn't taken from him, he wasn't murdered. Jesus gave his life a ransom for you. And then, and here comes the part, the little tiny piece, the view through the window that we're going to look at tonight. Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Father, we thank you that as we come tonight, almost 2,000 years after that night, that the truth remains the same. You made your own son sin. Father God, who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And as we spend time in your word tonight, pondering the cross, not all of the details of how you died, King Jesus, not what happened at the hands of evil men, but what happened when that veil was torn, when that separation between a holy God and an unholy people was rent and the door was opened. Lord, teach us tonight as we view you and what you did, King Jesus, through the power of the cross. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Now, if you turn in the book of Romans, the chapter 3. 
a passage of scripture that many people look at with some form of awe. It's like, what is that? What was the apostle saying? Of course, verse 25 begins with the assumption that the whom God set forth is Jesus. As a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. You see, from Adam to that day to our day, the wages of sin has always been death. But Jesus was about to make possible the free gift of life. The wages of sin was death. Spelled out in great detail in the law. Codified by God to the Jewish people. Why? To demonstrate at this present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And here comes the marvel of the cross. You and I are still guilty. Our guilt is clear. Believers throughout time have not ceased sinning. But the payment that was made is so powerful that it deals with our sin, not just in the past. It goes all the way back and deals with Adam's sin. But it also dealt with your sin from this afternoon. And it deals with your sin that you may commit tomorrow or the day after. Or perhaps on your final day on this earth. Because God is perfectly just and perfectly holy. And there can be no skipping over ultimately the sin. The sin has to be paid for. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. By the law of faith. My sins have been excluded from the records of heaven and for the penalty of them. In that sense, they've been covered over, atoned for permanently and forever by the cross. By believing in Jesus Christ by faith, resulting in God's grace, that forgiveness I ask for as a believer, I have. And I am now just. God sees me as clean. And therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Amen? The law never justified anyone. Your sins were atoned for. And what comes next is a sign of that. God forbear those sins. Or is he the God of the Jews only? See, the Jews had the law. Theoretically, technically, if there had been someone who could be perfect, the, the law had the potential in and of itself kept fully. That's not just the Ten Commandments. That's all 613 pieces of the Jewish law. If you kept it perfectly from the day you drew your first breath to the day you took your last breath, there was the potential, theoretically, hypothetically, for you to be sinless. But it never happened. Didn't happen to rabbis, didn't happen to priests, it didn't happen to holy men, it didn't happen to the Essenes who lived in Qumran, who did nothing but transcribe scrolls all day, which we are very thankful for. Nobody 
was ever just because they did something to be just. Is he not only the, not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. There was the Jewish people thought they kind of had the, the they had the inner path. They had like the secret past that gets you into the area of the Dodgers dugouts. It's like if you don't have that, I mean you're going to get thrown to the ground, right? It's like you're going to toss it. It's just not going to be pretty for you if you don't have the magic pass. The Jewish people thought they had the magic pass to heaven. They had the law. They had the Torah. They had the prophets. They had the wisdom literature. God had been speaking to them personally through prophets. And yet the Apostle Paul, a Pharisee, a member of the 70 Sanhedrin, the sitting together ones, says, no, he's actually the God of both the Jews and the Gentiles. Can you imagine Jewish people listening to that? Are you kidding me? Faith is the issue. Do we then make void the law through faith? Here comes Paul's answer. Certainly not. And the phrase there is, with absolute certainty, the answer is no. That's a better translation. With absolute certainty, the answer is no. The law is not negated by faith. But the law is shown for what the law is. And it's a standard that we as human beings have failed since day one to be able to fully keep. On the contrary, we actually establish it. There's a strange word here. And for some of you, you're probably looking at this going, why is Pastor Jeff doing this at this point in time? It's translated passed over, but it is the word propitiation. You see, we look at it as those sins that we have, the full, the righteous demands that God made on our character for us to live holy lives. He's holy, right? Our sin debt, unless it's paid for, remains. If something isn't done about it, because God is holy, your debt remains. And yet the Bible says very clearly that the answer to that problem, in spite of the fact that we are this group of people that are self-sufficient, self-absorbed, self-centered, self-gratified, self-fulfilled, that there is one thing that we ourselves can't do. Think about it. We actually have a magazine in this country called Self. That's how bad it is, okay? Got my new edition of self. You, you wonder how many people like fight for the poster, on, you know, to be the cover? It's like, no, pick me, pick me. We are so focused on self. And yet, no matter who you are, there's something that you can't do anything about yourself. And that's your sin. That has always been a problem. That's why when you come to the cross, you come abandoning self. You pick up your cross and you follow him. Because the cross isn't about you, it's about Jesus. And if he doesn't die for your sins, your sins remain and there is no propitiation for them. You still own them. And one day when you take your last breath, if you still own your own sin and they're not paid for, you are not going to heaven. And you can't do a thing about it. 
There's no amount of money. There's no amount of praying. There's no amount of you having gifts. There's no amount of good works, philanthropy. It doesn't matter what you do about it in this life. If you have not believed on the only begotten Son of God, your sins remain. Because the only payment for those sins was made on the cross. And unless you believe by faith that your sins were paid for at the cross, they still belong to you. The cross of Christ becomes the answer to our greatest problem then. You see, I can solve generally by effort whether my family eats or not. I, there's a lot of things in life that, that self can kind of get you there. But this one's above your pay grade. Not something you can do anything about. That's why the Apostle Paul said that grace itself is a free gift that comes through faith in Christ Jesus. And some people are going, well, that's not very fair. You know, I, I thought I existed for me. I existed to appease myself, to do what I want to do. I was scrolling through some of the news feed today, and it was, it was kind of shocking that on Good Friday, I read story after story after story of I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm going here, and I'm going to do that. And oh, do you know that tomorrow is promised to no one. And again, it's not bad to have plans. Not bad to go on vacation. It's not bad to have a great life while you're here. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But there's one thing you better take care of because once you exit this earth, you can't do anything about it. Because the way you do something about it is by faith while you're still here. Truth is, we exist to bring glory to God. And so to some degree, instead of being absorbed in our own interests, the things that really float our boats, we're supposed to have God's interests in mind. As you look at this passage, I have the privilege of living my life for the glory of the one who saved me from eternal damnation. I don't know how many of you have experienced this. Let's just call it extreme benevolence. Where there's a problem that you have in your life and you can't do anything about it. Maybe it's, maybe it's been during COVID and you got behind on rent or a mortgage payment or something like that. And someone comes along and they say, you know what? I got it. I'll take care of your mortgage payments for you. Well, I haven't paid in a year. It's okay. It's fine. The Lord's blessed me. That person takes out their checkbook, writes that check, and it's got lots of zeros. Hands it to you. You turn it into your mortgage banker. And they're going, wow, did you get a raise? No, I got a gift. Well, where did it come from? A person who doesn't want to have any glory. in an infinitely extreme way. You had something you could do nothing about. It's been going on for your whole life. And Jesus went to the cross and said, yes, Jeff, I'm writing a check for the whole thing. And just so everybody knows the check is good, I'm going to sign it in my blood. This is my autograph. I'm going to sign it in my blood. I want everyone to know it's real. And so when John records to tell us, die, it is finished, your debt was paid. The question is, have you received Jesus because he's the one that paid the price? If you don't receive him, then the price was paid, but you haven't received the gift. It's already paid. The check's written. 
but you have to take the check from King Jesus. That's what happens when we got saved. When I said yes to Jesus, I said, yes, Lord, I can't pay that debt. I have no capacity to take care of it myself. And I realized you can and did pay the price for me. And I'm asking for your gracious kindness to take care of my debt of sin. That is what happened at the cross. The propitiation was made. The passing over. His pain, our gain, that bumper sticker has been around since the 1970s. The effects of that debt. Think of this. You see, when you go on your credit score, and you know, you, you watch some commercial and go, oh yeah, I can do experience boost. I got a purple cow. I get me extra 17 points. You know what's really interesting? The record of every single debt is still there. Maybe paid, but it still remains. Now imagine this. The debt's gone. Even the record of it is gone. It's erased. God no longer sees it. That's why we exist. To bring glory to the one who did this for us. You know, sometimes we toss around words like justification. That comes by faith alone, in Christ alone, through the cross alone. Those things are true, they're absolute. But I think sometimes we so oversimplify it, and I do this sometimes, you just describe to people a, a, a complex theological term like justification. It does indeed mean to be seen by God just as if I had never sinned. But it is so much more than that. Because Jesus satisfied the righteous requirements of the law on my behalf. He didn't just pay the debt. He took the penalty. He didn't just put cash in your account. He actually died in your place. That's why Paul said he's the just and the justifier. It's one person. He paid the debt and at the same time paid the price with his own life. It's like you got cash, Jesus got killed. That's why when we come to Good Friday, sometimes we look at these passages, there's so many different ways to to observe this incredible evening. But tonight, that justification for my sin and your sin, the totality of my debt has been canceled forever. Amen? Forever. It's, it's not accumulating to my, to my account. You see, it's not like a, a forbearance. You see, a forbearance is that letter you get from the bank when you can't make your payments, and they go, well, that's okay. We're going to go with you a while longer. But the whole time you're accruing interest, and they tack the whole thing onto the other end. You see, it's not just the passing over. It's the taking care of. It's not just making a partial payment with the promise to pay the rest later. It's the whole debt is erased. Without you doing a thing, save believing in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Believing that he actually died on Calvary's cross in your place, and he rose three days later from the grave and proved that he conquered death. It's mind-boggling. What are some of the effects of the cross and sometimes I think we just, we kind of just glance over some of these things. 
What is it that's happened to us? You ever thought about this? 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says that. It delivers us from the wrath to come. The cross of Christ actually has delivered you from what you rightly deserve, which is God's wrath. That's what you're saved from. When you say you're saved, you are saved from the wrath of God. That's the from side. You're saved to sanctification and glory. But you're saved from what God has the right to do to you. Which is to banish you to eternal punishment for your sin. But the cross took care of that. It's delivered you from that wrath. It furthermore, the cross is a demonstration. God could have done nothing greater to demonstrate his own love towards us than to put his own son on Calvary's cross. There's nothing more expensive he could have given. He gave his only son. There's nothing more he could have done. He poured all of his wrath onto his only son. Sometimes we forget when we talk about the cross, it's like, well, there's this wooden thing and Jesus was nailed to it. Oh my, church. Do you realize what the cross did to Satan? It crushed his head. It broke his power. It destroyed his dominion. It gave Jesus victory over sin, which gave you victory over sin, which gives us the glorious heaven we're going to get one day. Church, the cross is not a wooden thing that we worship. It's what Jesus did on that cross that makes the difference. It's not carrying around a chunk of wood. It's carrying around the grace of God in your life, in your heart, because you've believed on his name. Sometimes we have this so simple view of what the cross actually did. How about Jesus? You think the cross affected him? He was nailed to a piece of wood and separated from his own father for the first time in eternity. As your sin and mine was laid upon his shoulders, exactly as Isaiah prophesied. The cross even affected Jesus himself. That's why in the garden last Sunday, what did Jesus pray? Father, if there's any way to take this cup, the cup of redemption, the cup of the cross, if there's any way to take this cup, Father, your will be done. There was no way. And Jesus went all the way because you couldn't go part way so that we could go all the way to heaven. Church, we should worship the cross, but not the piece of wood. We should worship what it's done in our lives. For the first time in all of eternity, the cross of Christ actually affected the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit separated why the veil was rent. Did you notice where it was ripped from? Just so you know, that curtain was likely at least 60 feet tall. It was in Herod's temple. That building was almost 90 feet tall. It's highly likely that the curtain may have gone from the floor to the ceiling. Giving some room for the space indoors, 50, 60 feet at least. It was six inches thick, layered. And from the top to the bottom, it was rent. Why? Because God said, come on in. Amen? That's what happened. That veil was torn. You see, that thing used to say, stay out. Be gone. You're not coming in here. There's nothing out there that can come in here because what's in here is holy and what's out there isn't. And God 
as Jesus Christ out on the cross. Father, into thy hands I yield my spirit. Father God says, that's enough. I'm tearing the curtain. Come on in. Come join me. Come say hello. That was such a dangerous thing to do that the high priest wore bells on the bottom of their tunic. They had a cord tied to their ankle in case they missed any sin in their life as they're confessing. If they dropped dead from seeing the holiness of God, that someone could drag them out without also dying. That's how seriously God took his holiness and still does. Church, the cross did that for you. The cross tore the curtain. That cross reveals God's absolute righteousness, his absolute holiness. Notice verse 25, the second half. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance, the passing over, he passed over the sins previously. Can you imagine? You mean, God, you really don't hold me accountable for those things anymore? Hallelujah. Amen? Any of you sinned in your life? You better all put your hands up. Then you should be saying, Hallelujah. Your sins have been passed over. So you get to the list, it's like, what's that? I don't see anything. Jeff's list is empty. There's nothing there. His record's been expunged. Looks to me like he's holy. It's because I am. Amen? I'm holy because of Jesus, not because of me, because of the king on the cross. Church, we got to get this part right. What I see in the church today is this wandering from the centricity of the cross and the truth of the gospel off into all kinds of other stuff. And while all those things may be wonderful and good in and of themselves, it is the cross of Christ that is the redemptive price paid for our sin. Amen? So we need to be cross-centric. Good Friday is a day for us to remember what the cross actually is. It is not something you wear on your neck. And if you have one right now, praise the Lord. If you want to be out and about about something, be out and about about Jesus and the cross. Praise God. But if the only cross you have is a gold one hanging on your neck, shame on you. This gold cross can't save you. The bloody one saves you. Amen? So you can have this like piece of jewelry that you adore. That's what you adore. The righteousness that comes through the cross. What happened to you because Jesus did what he did? He passed over everything. And the crazy thing is, God in his justice has condoned none of it. He simply paid the price for all of it so he could pass over it. Otherwise, he'd have to stop. He'd get to your list. If there was anything on there that wasn't paid for, he'd get stuck. It's like, "Mm, that, that one's not okay. Sorry. That's actually what happens to unbelievers. God gets to their list and go, whoa! What is that? And it started the moment you knew sin. To him who knows it's sin, it's sin. The moment you recognize it was wrong to tell a lie, every lie thereafter is sin to you. Imagine carrying around a list of just your lies. How about the things you thought in your mind or covetousness or bitterness or anger or injustice? How about inhumanity? How about fighting? How about brutality? How about taking care, taking advantage of disadvantaged people? You see how your list might be kind of long in heaven? 
And it takes one thing on that list. And you're not going to heaven. The cross made the list blank. Blank. From God's perspective. I don't see anything. I see Jesus. I see my son's blood. And my son's blood erased Jeff's sin. My son's blood is more powerful than Jeff's sin. That's why in God's forbearance, can you, can you, that's why Peter could actually say, God is patient. He's not wishing that anyone should perish. You see, sometimes we wonder why God doesn't just strike people dead. Why? Because he loves them. Why didn't he just take care of that problem himself? Because he loves them. He's unwilling that they should perish. And so he gives them more rope in hopes that it won't be rope to hang with. It'll be rope to build the bridge to the cross with. You're not going to strangle yourself trying to get away from God. You're going to be pulled to God. God's justice, his his grace and his justice are perfectly matched. We have a tough time with that. Because we look at things as like, well, that's a six and this one's a ten. So it's like, you know, it's like, how does that work? We can all think about our sins and we, you know, we, we recognize it in this life. Some sins have greater consequences, amen? Look, you rob a bank, you're probably going to do some serious prison time. But when you're 12 years old and you're out there on the playground and somebody's got extra lunch money and you lift it from his pocket, you're probably not going to spend your life in jail over that. So there's even differences within the same exact crime. But in God's eyes... They all have the same penalty. Here it comes. The wages of sin, singular, is death. One. You ever think about that? You should, because the cross erased 100% on your behalf. If you got one, you're in trouble. So this whole thing, well, you know, I think I'm a good person. Well, how good are you? Have you told any lies today? Did you lust today? Did you covet something? You flip through a magazine? Did you, you know, did you find something in there that you really wanted? You're trying to figure out how to weasel your way around to get it? Did you alter your brain chemistry today in any way? Bible says that's sin. Did you engage in sorcery? And you're all going, no, man, that doesn't happen anymore. Yes, it does. Because the root of that word in the Greek language is pharmakia. It's drug use. Any kind of drug use. And it alters your brain chemistry. You see, sometimes we, we think of the cross like, well, it's the big stuff. You know, we start quoting the tank. Oh, yeah, I'm not supposed to cover my neighbor's goods. Oh, man, I was doing okay till I got to that one. What about you shall have no other gods before me? How do you do with that one? There's a reason it's the first one, because nobody gets past that one generally in their flesh. Because we all have other little gods. God of fame, God of fortune, the God of self. Church, the cross. Oh, the forbearance of the cross. Because in his justice, no sin ever goes unpunished. And yet, because of his grace, no sin is beyond forgiveness. Hallelujah. Yesterday, I talked to a guy who's likely going to spend the rest of his life in prison for murder. And he was weeping. I said, you know God loves you? 
He said, how can God love me? I said, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. You think Jesus is going to reject you because of your sin? He didn't reject the one who cried out to him. But one rejected him. The question is, have you believed in him? Murder is forgivable. You mean, oh, I don't believe that. Well, you don't believe what the Bible says. Because the Bible clearly declares that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen? That's all. There isn't like a list there except for, you know, oh man, don't do these. I had a guy come to me, he's going, man, there's no way somebody's gay, they're making it into heaven. I said, can you show me that verse in the Bible? Well, it doesn't matter. I said, yes, it does. I said, it's for by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's, it's faith is given to you as a gift. How in the world can you say that? Well, I just don't think they should be there. There's the problem. I said, I got a guarantee for you, buddy. You take that to heaven, you're the one not getting in. He got kind of tweaked at that. (laughs) Some pastor you are. You know one of the glories of getting old? You don't care what people think anymore. You know you're ugly, you got age spots, you're bald. You're going to be just fine, you know. It's like you're on your way out. It's like, dude, just telling you straight. Mom, ring it. What's happening? Why? Because the cross exalts the grace of God. It exalts the grace of God. The unmerited favor of God. That's what's exalted at the cross. We look at the cross, we go, that's grace. That's unmerited favor on my part. I'm the guilty one, but he's up there. Notice what they did. They mocked him. Why? Because they were so focused on self. Remember what they said. If you're the son of God, bring yourself down from there. What was that all about? They were saying, if I was there, that's what I would do. I would never die for you. The cross exalts the grace of God, church. And there's some proofs that come from it. I want to share just very quickly some things that you can look at in your own life. And then we'll partake of communion together. God is absolutely righteous. It was a way to demonstrate, verse 25b says, the righteousness of God. Why is this so important? Because when you think about the forbearance of the cross and what God did there, as as you think of the letter being completely taken care of, the entirety of everything you owe, Wiped clean. I, I, I no longer owe that debt. There's no interest on the other end. There's nothing for me to do. The cross is lifted up. I am made low. But that, that bloody cross. You know what's crazy? The first thing that happens to you is you end up loving God. It's like, God, you did this for me? God, I love you. Amen? Sometimes I I listen to people talk about their love for the Lord, and it's kind of like their love for the nachos at the ball game. It's like, well, you know, there's kind of like some, you know, some, I I always pick the, you know, there's too many jalapenos, and I pick them out. That's not God's love. God's love is not about you. It's about him. And because of what he is, you experience what he is. And he is love. John's first letter declares that very plainly. 
God is love. And we know that we love him because of it. Why is that so important? Because that's who he is. You can't be like somebody. You can't love somebody and, and at the same time hate them, which brings the second thing into view. I'm going to have a God-given built-in hatred for sin. It's actually going to bother me. You know, sometimes people come to me and they want godly counsel. I have, prayerfully, I'm giving it to them. I, I don't think I'm intentionally misleading anyone. But I will usually start someplace in the very beginnings of our conversation well, do you want to actually be free of this sin? Well, you know, um, the answer needs to be emphatically yes. We're to love what God loves and hate what God hates. So when you're one of God's kids, the cross causes you to hate sin. That's what happens. A third evidence you realize it was a gift. And being a child of God makes you really, really, really humble. Because if it wasn't grace, I'm not going. If it's about me, it ain't happening. If I got to get there on my own, not going to make it. You, you see, you start to look at it from God's perspective. It's like, Lord, you ever wonder why Jesus put poverty of the spirit in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed is he who's poor in spirit, for his, hers, is the kingdom of God. Why? Because we got a new spirit through the cross. My spirit needs to decrease, that spirit needs to increase. What causes you to love other people? You really realize it's not you, it's him. The fourth thing is you're devoted to the Lord himself, to God's glory, to things that bring him praise and honor. Now, we live in such a narcissistic society to where everything is about what other people think about us. Like I said, that's why it's cool getting old. It's like none of it matters anymore. Nobody cares. I could, if I drove up in a beater with the wheels falling off, nobody would care. They go, well, he's old. He's probably senile. Nobody even, he's not sure where he is right now, okay? Nobody would judge me for driving some, you know, just beat up car. But man, when you're younger, oh, yeah. I'm going to do a test right now. How many of you have been to a high school reunion? Raise your hand. Is that the most lame thing ever? <laughs> it's like, yeah, remember when I threw that pass? It's like, you're 60 years old. The person you threw that pass to uses a walker, dude. Nobody cares. How about you tell them about Jesus? It's like, look, there's nothing I need to tell to you except I love Jesus. You go to those reunions. Oh, yeah, you know, I got my own business. And bother to tell them it's wrapping hot dogs at Dodger Stadium. <laughs> By the way, if you happen to be in that business, I'd like to know you personally. <laughs> I'm convinced Dodger dogs have crack in them. I'm lightening this because we're going to get to some pretty heavy stuff in a moment. I don't want to beat you up. I want you to leave here lifted up. But the seriousness of what we're about to celebrate, as we think about what the cross means to us and what reliable evidence is that the cross is in us, that we've believed in what Jesus did and received what Jesus did, we are people of prayer, and we do have selfless love, these other things that are here. That we're separating ourselves from the world, that the world doesn't hold the allure that it does for people that don't know Jesus. 
Now, again, it doesn't mean that you can't have a nice car. It doesn't mean that you can't have a nice house. Praise the Lord if you have those things. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Blessings are from the blesser. Amen? It's okay to be blessed. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying here. But I think sometimes what happens is we get so focused on obtaining blessings, we forget who gives them freely. And so then we pour all of our effort into being like the world or in the world instead of not of this world. And thereby we start thinking about the world instead of the kingdom to come. We're supposed to be kingdom people who think about the king and his kingdom. As we do that, our priorities change. And finally, we'll start to grow. That central truth of the parable of the sower. Ultimately, Jesus would go on to say, this is my Father's desire that you bear much fruit. Not not be a vine just covered with leaves, but a fruit-bearing vine. A part of the vine that produces fruit for the king and for his kingdom. A church, as I was preparing, and as I've shared with you before, one of the difficulties as a pastor when you've been in ministry a long time is finding fresh ways to approach these, these times when we look at the same passages of Scripture year in and year out. You, you could do 500 messages on the cross alone. This is just one way for us to consider the cross. What it did. Not what it was, but what it did. And what it did for me is it revealed God to me. I now get to know how much God loves me. Very often people say, I don't think God loves me. I said, what more proof do you need than the cross? You don't need any more proof than the cross of Christ that Jesus loves you. I want you to notice something about the cross. Jesus didn't stand in in the praetorium in the Antonia Fortress and start saying, well, I'm going to die for and then list a bunch of names, and I'm not going to die for and then list a bunch of names. He was God. He could have been there a while, by the way, because he would have known every person from Adam to whenever the Lord's going to return. He could have named every single person, billions of them. And been 100% accurate. But he didn't. Why? Because God loved the whole world. He made him who knew no sin, sin for us, plural, all of us. The price was sufficient for you and for me. There, There isn't another price that needs to be paid now in addition to what was already paid. The price that Christ paid on the cross is sufficient for everyone's sin. Yours and mine. One of the things that I'm always marveling about when I read Paul's letters is how precise Paul was with an understanding of the law. There was no greater condemnation of the saving power of the law in all of Scripture than the Apostle Paul. He basically said, We're toast. Can't happen. And so when he finally got done talking about it, he says, well, the law is a tutor, it's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. To bring us to the cross. To deposit us at the feet of the cross. After those six hours one Friday, as Jesus is hanging on it, It's to bring us to that cross moment. I'm going to have the worship team come back out. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your communion elements. And there on the bottom, you'll see a little tab. You can just simply pull that. And it will deposit a piece of matzah in in your hand. The cross establishes that the debt was paid in full.
the cross establishes the purpose for which God sent Jesus into this world in the first place, that the world through him might be saved. And the cross establishes the potential for anyone who believes on him to be saved. What we're about to do is for people who are saved. It's for the church. It's for believers. So much so that the Apostle Paul, as he's writing about communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, actually gives a little bit of a warning there. He says, don't do it in an unworthy manner. So I want to take just a second. And I want to really drill down on this because everything we talked about for the cross is free to anyone who wants it. Eternal life is a free gift, but you have to receive it. You have to believe it. You have to ask for it. If you've not done that yet, the Apostle Paul actually said some have actually gotten ill and some have died from the way they've treated the Lord's Supper. And while I'm not trying to threaten anyone, I am saying when we take communion, it's us saying to Jesus, we believe. We believe. And we thank you. So if you don't know the Lord, here's your opportunity. If you don't know Jesus yet, you can bow your head right now and repeat this prayer after me and invite him in. I don't know who you are, but God does. If that's you, just pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin. I believe I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. So I'm asking you for forgiveness of my sin to cleanse me from that sin and to write my name in the Lamb's book of life. And I promise to walk with you the rest of my days. And I'm asking you to give me the power to do it because I can't do it on my own. I receive the gift of grace right now. I believe you've forgiven my sin. Help me to walk in your power. In Jesus' name, amen. For us, Bible gives a very simple treatment to the Lord's Supper. Paul said, For this I received from the Lord that which was also delivered to you, that the Lord on the the night that Jesus was betrayed, the very same night when he'd been betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had taken it and broke it, he said, Take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Let's partake together. The Apostle Paul, exactly as Jesus did, by the way, took the cup after supper, the cup of redemption, And he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim together. Father, we are grateful. We are honored to be able to partake in your supper. We do not deserve it. We never will. Lord, your body was broken for us. Your blood was spilled for us. The forgiveness that we now have cost you everything. And we recognize that cost. Father, thank you for the grace that's been poured into us through the cross, through the mercy that's been shown us through the cross, through the goodness and blessings that's come our way through the cross. 
through the new life that we now live because of the cross, the bondages that have been broken through the cross. Lord, thank you for the blood of the cross. Thank you for giving us new life. Lord, we honor you. We praise you. We bless you. We thank you for going to the cross on our behalf. Thank you for the gift of life that's come from it. We ask all this in the mighty name of our coming King Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.